Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1 tonight, if you will, please. How many of you came tonight to hear something really deep? Well, you came to the wrong place. I'm not deep. But the Word is good. Amen. I want to read um, a scripture that, um, uh, start off with a scripture this evening. I, um, uh, I really didn't have any specific direction until just the last few moments when we were uh, finishing up praise and worship. But I want to start with something that, uh, that's uh, basic and simple. But, you know, it's, I've found that it's not the hard things that people stumble over. It's the simple things. Amen? So rather than go after the hard things, I've found that if you can just get people to accept and realize the simple truths of the word, the hard things take care of themselves. Therefore, James chapter 1, verse 17, James is writing to the church, and he said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom, talking about God, with whom, here's what God's like, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, the word variableness means subject to change. It means there is no changing in God. There's not even a shadow of turning with God. Now, he's talking about the same things, but he's talking about degrees. He said there is no variableness in God. If, if you remember doing algebra in school and, and that kind of stuff, you always, some, many times you had to find out what the, the value of the variable was or is. What, how much to, is X worth or what's the value of X or Y or whatever symbol that they're using? The X or the Y is the variable. And so you take the other information that's solid and set and always the same, established by the information given to you in the equation, and you back it out and change it around, you know, rearrange it to figure out what the variable is. Well, a variable can be anything. But with God, there is no variableness. In other words, there's no chance of turning. There's no chance of change. God is, whatever way God is, that's the way he always is, and it's the only way he is. And it goes further to say there's not even any variableness in God. There's not even a shadow of turning. Forget the turn, not even a shadow of it. A shadow is a, a, a reflection, a, an impure or inaccurate reflection of something else. It just shows the shape or the, the, the size of something else. It's not the real thing. You can't look at a shadow and see what something is. You may look at a shadow and say, well, that's shaped like a man. That's a man's shadow or a woman's shadow or whatever. But you can't tell what man or what woman. So with God, it says, there's not even any turning. There's not even a shadow, anything that resembles any change in God. So many times people in the church world say, well, we just never know what God's going to do. Well, if you can ever find what he once did, you can know what he's going to do. If you can ever identify what he has ever done, then you know what he will always do. Because there is no variableness in God, neither shadow of turning. If God did something once... He will always do that the same way. He doesn't play both sides of the street. So let's read that verse again. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Notice nothing good can come from anybody except God. Jesus um, was approached by the rich young ruler and said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember what Jesus answered him? He said, why do you call me good? Now, I would submit to you that the, the rich young ruler's got a real good question going. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Yet Jesus focuses on the good. He said, why do you call me good? There is none good but one, and that's the Father. Jesus seems to know John uh, James 1.17. Jesus seems to know the reality of James 1.17. There's only one place that's good. There's only one source of good, and that's God. 
So many times Christians get to get tied up about, well, is this from God? Is this from the devil? What's happening in my life? Well, all you have to do is identify the goodness of it. Jesus said, even with human beings, he said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. So Jesus identifies the contrast between good and evil. Those are opposites in Jesus' uh, teaching. So good is on one side, evil is on the other. He said a person that is good, meaning God, can bring forth evil things. He can't do it. Any more than a good man can bring forth evil things from his heart. Your heart is one way and only one way. That means, let me take a little side journey to, to, to make the point here. That means when you're made righteous by the blood of Jesus, there is nothing that can come from your heart that's evil. Meaning your spirit. Your spirit's good. That's why Paul could say, my flesh doesn't always do the right thing, but from the inside, my heart always wants to follow God. Why? Because his heart's been made good. It's been made right. It's been made pure by the blood of Jesus. Now, the devil will take your, your physical actions and he'll say, oh, you're a bad person. Well, not if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. You may have done a bad thing. You may have done something from the flesh, but that's not the real you. That's why you can say in the face of mistakes and failures, sins and wrongdoing. That's why you can stand and say in the face of those things, I am righteous by the blood of Jesus. And ask God's forgiveness for your natural wrongdoing. And that's the unrighteousness that he cleanses you of. It's the unrighteous action that he cleanses you of. He didn't have to cleanse your heart. Can you imagine how many times we'd have to get saved and saved and saved again and again and again and again and again if our heart changed every time we messed up physically? I'm glad the blood of Jesus is greater than that. He saves you. He makes you righteous once and for all. And the Bible says that the source of goodness is God. And nothing can come from God that's not good. Because he's only good. God is only good. He's always good. And he's the only source of good. So all we have to do is identify what's good in our lives. Now, I don't understand why so many Christians have a hard time with that. That seems like a simple concept to me. Somebody will talk about praying for, for their needs to be met. Well, I, you know, Pastor Mike, I just don't know if I can just, if I can believe God to meet my needs. Well, what do you need? Well, I need, I need finances. I need clothes for the kids. I need a new car. I need different things like that. Well, aren't all those things called in the world goods? Why does the world call resources goods? They used to be called dry goods stores. We call the certain things canned goods. Why do they call them goods? Well, it's certainly not bad. They feed you. They sustain you. They provide for you. That's a good thing. Even the world's got that figured out. Why does the church have such a hard time with that concept? Every good and perfect gift is from above. Perfect doesn't mean without flaw. It means, although everything from God is without flaw, this word means complete. It means every gift that comes from God is complete. God doesn't give half gifts. He gives complete gifts and comes down from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I'm going to remind you of a verse of scripture in, uh, since this is healing school, Acts 10:38. You can turn there if you like, if you're not uh, familiar with the scripture, maybe they'll get it up on the screen so you can read it from up there if you don't want to turn. It says this, Peter, 
preaching in Cornelius' household about the ministry of Jesus, said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good. Now, Jesus said, let's stop right here and talk about that for a minute. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he that's seen me has seen, has seen the Father. Philip said, well, how have we seen the Father? We don't understand that. Or Philip was talking for himself, I guess. He said, we don't understand that. Show us the Father and then we'll be happy. And he said, Philip, have I not been with you long enough for you to understand that he that has seen me has seen the Father? The words that I speak unto you, they're from the Father. The works that I do, those are from the Father too. He's saying, I only say and only do what the Father has sent me to do. The one who gives good and perfect gifts. The one that can give only good gifts. The one that's only good is the one that gave Jesus the words to speak that he said and the works to do that he did. Now, what did Jesus do? How, back to Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing. When I would healing be part of the works and the words that Jesus spoke, the words that he spoke and the works that he did? Well, sure. Then that means those, those were given to him. Those works, those healing works were given by God. That means those healing works have got to be good. That means those healing works came from the origin, the originator of good, the father of lights with whom there's no variableness. That means if they were good in Jesus' ministry, they've got to be good today. That means if healing was good in Jesus' ministry, there's got to be good today. With whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That means not only is healing the same today as it was in Jesus' ministry, either good today and good then, or bad then and bad today, but the Bible answers that for us. It says Jesus went about doing good and healing, which means healing was good in Jesus' ministry, which means it has to be good today. Not only is it the same today because God never changes, God wouldn't even think about changing his position on healing. Are you with me? Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I heard so-and-so say, Pastor so-and-so say that sometimes God uh, teaches us through sickness, and he gave an example of one time when he was sick, and God was teaching him something. Yeah, there's a lot of those examples out there. But I want you to see the context of what James said. Here in verse, in chapter one, back up with me to verse 12. It says, blessed is the man that endures temptation. Now the word temptation here, look it up for yourself, but the word temptation means test, trials, and adversity. It means hard place. We're going to have hard places in life, folks. We're going to have trouble in life. Jesus said, you will have trouble in life, but don't worry. I've overcome the world. When we get in trouble, when we get attacked, even when we get attacked with sickness, it's so easy for us to hear the devil sitting on our shoulder saying, well, this is because you're a bad person. You did something wrong and it's not working for you. It's never going to work for you. It may work for other people. That faith stuff may work for others, but it's not going to work for you. But the Bible says that we're all going to be attacked from time to time because we live in a world where Satan is still the God of this world. And he has a perfect right to attack you and me with anything he wants to. Anything within his power. But we have the power to overcome whatever he attacks us with. So the blessing is not, he does not say blessed is the man that is never attacked. If that were the case, we'd have a hard time living up to it, measuring up to it. But it says instead, blessed is the man that endures temptation. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, tested or tempted, he shall receive the crown of life. Now, what is the crown of life? Well, it depends on what the test is. It depends on how the devil tempts you. 
If he tempts you with sickness, if he brings sickness against you or attacks you with sickness, maybe attack is a better word for us to relate to. If he attacks you with sickness, then if you endure, the endurance is putting the word to work, the good gifts of healing that God has provided for us. The crown of life is healing as well as your faith being strengthened. There's a spiritual benefit as well as a natural or physical benefit. If it's persecution, there's no guarantee that those people that are persecuting you will ever stop. Because Jesus said himself, they that live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution, which explains why a lot of people never suffer persecution. It takes godly living to experience persecution, which is the reason why a lot of people never do experience it. It's not a joke. I know it sounds funny, but it's not a joke. But Jesus said that we would be persecuted. But he said, don't worry, I'm with you. I'll give you the power to endure. I'll give you the power to overcome. So if it's persecution, then the crown of life would be a spiritual reward or a heavenly reward for having suffered here for the name of Jesus. But the only suffering the Bible ever, ever, ever in the New Testament talks about is suffering persecution. And you're supposed to suffer persecution for the name of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we look for it. It means because we take a stand and live our lives according to the word of God, other people will see it. Some that reject it will persecute us for it, and then we get a crown of life. There's a special reward for that. Now, who's bringing the persecution? Does God bring it at you? Is God causing people to do the wrong thing and say say bad things about you and, and trying to, to hurt you and harm you on the job and stuff like that? No, God's not behind it. The devil's behind it. Many Christians have a hard time with Paul's thorn in the flesh. That's all it was. Paul's thorn in the flesh was persecution. Every place he went, he was persecuted. He'd leave one town, and you would expect, if I leave this town, then the persecution is going to stay behind me. It's going to be there. But people would follow him from town to town to stir up trouble wherever he went next. Paul said it was a special assignment of the devil. There was a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. It doesn't say it was a messenger of God. It said it was a messenger of Satan. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, God allowed that. Well, since when has God and the devil started working together as partners? My Bible says Jesus was made manifest here on the earth to destroy the works of the devil. And every time you see Paul enduring persecution, he comes out of it on top. He's living exactly what this verse of Scripture says. Blessed are they which endure temptation, test trials and afflictions. For they shall receive a crown of life. So the crown, the reward, depends on the kind of attack. If it's a natural attack, if it's if it's an attack of sickness or an attack of, of poverty or lack, financially or resources, where resources are concerned, the answer, Jesus is the answer for that. And we overcome and we receive our healing or we receive our needs met. Because those are good things. Those are good things from God. If it's persecution then unless somebody's heart is changed so that they stop the persecution, they have a right to continue doing the devil's work. God won't change their will. If God was going to change their will, he wouldn't change people and stop them from persecuting Christians. He'd change their will and get them saved. But it's their will, not God's will. It's up to them. So if the persecution continues, the key is to endure by the grace of God, by the finished work of Jesus, just keep going on and loving people instead, even though in the middle of the persecution, even though they continue to attack, and there's a spiritual crown, a heavenly crown laid up for you because of that experience. 
So some crowns of life are, ex- are received here on the earth. Some crowns of life you receive when you get to heaven, depending on the situation. Back to verse 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. But let no man, verse 13, let no man say, when he is tempted, same word, test, trial, or affliction. When you're in the middle of a hard place, when you're in the middle of a test, when you're in the middle of an attack of sickness or poverty or whatever the case is, when you're being persecuted, let no man say, I am tempted, tested, or tried, being afflicted by God. Can I ask you a question? How much of the church world lives by that verse? Isn't that the excuse that a lot of the church gives? Well, God's brought this sickness into my life because he's trying to teach me something. The Bible just said never say that. Well, Pastor Mike, my business prospered and then God took it all away. The Bible said never say that. The Bible says that can't be true. Now, this is the context for verse 17, talking about God being good and only good. This is the context. So he said, let no man say when he, am te- when he is tempted, I am tempted of God for. Here's why. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man with evil. The context is with evil. God never tests, God never tries, God never afflicts anyone with evil. Now, God does test you. Folks, honestly, I mean, one of the greatest examples of that is Abraham being tested of God to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. But every scripture is a test. When the Bible tells you to pay your tithes, bring the, the tithe into the storehouse and prove me now herewith, that's a test. God says, prove me now, put me to the test. There's the test that God says, you've put me to the test, here's the test for you. Are you willing to trust me with 10% of your income? That's a test. But that's not evil. God's not trying to take something from you, he's trying to get a blessing to you. The key here is God can't tempt you with evil. Why? Because God only has good stuff. God doesn't deal in evil. When the Bible tells you to speak what God's word says in the face of contradicting circumstances. When sickness attacks your body and the Bible says, let the weak say I'm strong. Let the sick say I'm healed. When the Bible tells us to operate according to that principle, that's a test. What are you going to say? The Bible says by your words you're justified and by your words you're condemned. The Bible says you will have what you say. So what are you going to say? Here's the test. Now, is that a test that God's setting up? Well, in the sense that he gave us his word to use, yeah. But he's not the one that causes the circumstances to create the test. The test is, are we going to act on the word or are we not? And that's a constant test, folks, until you settle it once and for all in your life. But the Bible says God tempts no man with evil. That means he can't tempt any man with, with sickness. He can't tempt anybody with poverty. Why? Because we know that prosperity is good. We know that, that healing is good. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. That's the context where he says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Turn back with him to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Not everybody was convinced from the beginning 
of Jesus' ministry about Jesus' goodness and what was available to him and so forth. Jesus' ministry was similar to uh, present-day ministries in, in a couple of respects. One is there was a year of inauguration. Jesus had three years of, of, of ministry. His first year was a year of inauguration. That's when Jesus was telling people, here's who I am. You'll see some miracles and some healings take place in the first year. But it was really the second year. It was the second year when Jesus was accepted by the people that most of the miracles and healings took place. Jesus had to build up into it. The third year was the year of persecution. And that third year, there were still miracles that took place, but that's when the Jews were really coming after him. They were really trying to put him to death and, and so forth. So Jesus had three distinct years or phases of his ministry. The first year, the year of inauguration, that's when he was getting things going. There are miracles that took place, but not on the same scale as later on. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Fewer people heard in the beginning than heard as word began to spread later on in his ministry. But in the beginning of his ministry, here's a guy that comes to Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8. It says, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, folks, I would submit to you that this guy's attitude is the same attitude of most of the church world. How many of you believe God can do anything? Most every Christian will say that. Yeah, with God, all things are possible. Then you turn around and say, how many of you believe that with uh, to him that believes all things are possible? Um, don't get as many people participating on that one. It's easier to say God can do everything, right? But the same Bible says that all things are possible to him that believes. So here's a guy that says, just that. He says, God, uh, Jesus, I realize you've got healing power. He's heard that much, hasn't he? He has that much information from what he's heard or what he's seen or, or, or witnessed or whatever the case is. He's got enough information to believe that Jesus has the ability to heal. Jesus being God in the flesh, God can heal. How many of you believe that God can heal anything? The question is, what will he do? That's where the church stumbles. Well, yeah, we believe that God can do anything, but we just don't know for sure what he will do. That's this guy's position. That's what he says. He said, Master, if thou can't, or if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. I believe you can. I just don't know if you will. And Jesus put forth his hand. Mark's, uh, Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 5, one of them, uh, I think it's Luke chapter 5, said Jesus immediately stretched forth his hand. Mark chapter 1 verse 40 says Jesus moved with compassion, stretched forth his hand, and touched him and said... I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, can I ask you a question? Why did Jesus not have to pray and find out if God gave this man the leprosy so that he could learn something? That's what a lot of Christians do. Now, we may not think of it in those terms, but Christians pray, Lord, if it be your will. Well, isn't that what that, that prayer is? Is it your will to heal, Lord? Well, now, wait a minute. If God is only in the good giving, uh, giving good gifts business, and we know that healing is good, why would we ever pray as if it's the will of God concerning healing? Healing is a good gift. It was a good gift in Jesus' ministry. It was a good thing in Jesus' ministry. God never changes, so it has to be a good thing today. Why would we ever think that God would hesitate or draw back on the subject of healing under any circumstance whatsoever. 
Oh, people always come up with excuses. Oh, Pastor Mike, what if there's sin in my life? Well, that doesn't withhold God from doing his part on healing. You may need to straighten some things up, but the Bible even tells you how to do that. It's not a big, terrible, hairy thing. Same prayer that you pray for healing is a prayer that forgives your sins. It's not a big deal. It's not even an additional step. So why does the church pray or wonder or speculate about God's will concerning healing? But that's one of the first things the devil attacks us with, isn't it? One of the very first things. Folks, here's one of the minor things. Here's one of the the basic things, one of the foundational things, that if you can cross this hurdle, you'll never have another trouble with it. The devil will have to find some other way to bother you. And unfortunately, too few of the church, the church at large, ever get to this place. Jesus shows the will of God. Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So, any person that believes God can heal but doesn't know what that he will heal, here's Jesus showing God's attitude. God who can never change, there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God always immediately filled with compassion, stretches forth his hand, says, I will. Now, to say that God would ever say, I won't, means that God has changed. Now, you make all kinds of excuses for why God has changed. Well, God's changed because the circumstances are different in the individual's life. That doesn't change the, the position of God on healing. Yeah, but maybe there's sin or sickness and uh, sin has caused the sickness in that person's life. That doesn't change what God has done concerning the good gift of healing. Well, maybe this person needs to make adjustments. Maybe so. But that doesn't change what God has done concerning the good gift of healing. It is, I'm going to make a statement here. Stay with me. It is blasphemous to say that God would ever say, I won't, concerning the subject of healing. It is blasphemous to consider that God would ever not heal someone. Well, that's hard to swallow, isn't it? That's so foreign to our way of thinking. Now, does that mean everybody's going to be healed? Well, that's up to the individual. From God's end, I'm talking about from God's end, it's blasphemous to say or think or consider that God would ever not provide healing for an individual. Because healing's always good and God can only be good. And the fact of the matter is, the Bible says that God has already provided healing through the finished work of Jesus. To say that God would not heal someone today is to say that God is picking and pulling back, being an Indian giver on the subject of healing, the good gift of healing for an individual when the Bible says Jesus has already paid the price for it. That's blasphemous, folks. That's entirely contrary to what the Bible says about God. It's entirely contrary to what Jesus shows about the Heavenly Father. It's entirely contrary to what the Bible says Jesus ministered in the area of healing. Again, Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with them. Tells you where sickness came from. The devil's oppressing them. God's side of the street is God's healing them through Jesus. Who did he heal? A few? No, he healed all that were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. And God is the giver of good gifts, and he can only give good things, and healing is a good thing. I'm going to keep saying that until you get sick of hearing it. Because that's the only way we pound it in. I'm glad I'm not going to have to answer 
when I get to heaven, I'm not going to have to answer for why I accuse God of not being willing to heal people. I, 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 I'd hate to be in that position. Yet a lot of Christians are, a lot of preachers are. So Jesus immediately moved with compassion, if you combine what the different gospel accounts of this say. Jesus immediately moved with compassion, stretched forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. Now, if God would do more for the leper than he will do for you or me or anybody today, then God is a respecter of persons and the Bible is a lie. For the Bible is very clear that God is no respecter of persons. That means he won't do something for one person that he won't do for everybody else. And if you can find just one case, just one case where God would do something, would heal someone and will not heal somebody else, then you can throw the Bible away and use it for firewood. Because it has to be a lie. It can't be inspired by the Holy Ghost because that part would be untrue. Yet the part that the Bible tells us that is absolute truth is God is no respecter of persons. Meaning Jesus would not do one thing for this guy that God's not willing to do for you today. Why? Because God's still a good God and he only gives good gifts and healing's a good gift. Let's skip through a little bit more of the chapter here. Matthew chapter 8. Let's start reading in verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And do I say to another, come, and he comes. And if I say to my servant, do this, he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's talking about in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the Gentiles will get this where a lot of the Jews won't. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. Notice that the man accessed healing not because Jesus was there and laid his hands on him. The centurion recognized that because of the way authority works, the authority that we now have in the name of Jesus, he said, I understand that by the use of authority, all you have to do is speak the word, and it stands for the same thing. It produces the same results as if you are there in person to lay hands on them. And Jesus says, wow, this guy has got it. It's interesting that Jesus does not say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the son of God. It's very important that I go and lay hands on your servant so that everybody sees and knows that it was my power that did this so that they'll believe in, in me as the Savior. It's interesting that that wasn't Jesus' position because so much of the church world believes that Jesus healed for the purpose of proving that he was the Son of God. Yet Jesus credits this man for accepting the reality, the unchanging reality, it was real then, it's real today, that the Word of God is the same as the presence of Jesus himself. The use of the Word of God, the putting of the Word of God in practice produces the same exact results as if Jesus is here to lay hands on you today. Why? Not only is healing a good gift, God has made a way for you to receive healing without being in the presence, the physical presence of the Son of God. 
That's good news for us who lived after Jesus went to the cross. Otherwise, the only people that ever could have been saved would have been the ones that were alive when Jesus was here on the earth. But the word never changes. God never changes. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, the same understanding of authority and the same use of authority where the word of God is concerned will produce the same results today as it produced in Jesus' day. And Jesus said, wow, that's great faith. Good job. I wonder if he still thinks it's a good job to believe in the word. Absolutely. Let's read a little bit further. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and ministered unto him, unto them. Now, folks, if Jesus is healing mother-in-laws, healing has got to be good for everybody. You know, that's always the big joke. The big joke is my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law. Don't you think for a minute that the Bible doesn't tell you a specific story about a mother-in-law for a reason? And again, it shows us that healing is a good gift. When the evening was come, verse 16, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed some of the sick. How many? Well, that can't really mean all, can it? I mean, I know the Bible says so, but, I mean, after all, we know better. Because Pastor so-and-so said that, not, that healing is not for everybody. Well, if healing is not for everybody, then things have changed since Jesus was here on the earth. Yet Jesus says, the Bible shows us in this very same chapter, that you can access the healing power of God through the word, just the same as when Jesus was here on the earth to lay hands on the sick. And the Bible tells us that healing is still the same good gift today as it was when Jesus was here on the earth. That there is no changing, there's no variableness in God, neither a shadow of turning. So what changed? True, Jesus is not here in physical form anymore. But how does that change anything? When you can access the healing power of God by the word, by speaking the word only, in the same way that if Jesus was here physically on the earth then what changes? Now, if we didn't have scriptures like this, then we'd have something to question. But what changes? Jesus said that people would come from the east and the west. Well, that's us. We're certainly west from where Jesus was when he said this. He said we would come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That means be part of the family of God. And partake of the blessings of Abraham. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being a curse, being made a curse for us. For it is written. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Why did he do that? So that we might receive the blessing of Abraham. We came from the west. To sit down in the kingdom of heaven. With all the blessings and all the benefits. That Jesus is referring to. Concerning the centurion. How did he, the centurion, a Gentile access the healing power of God. The Gentile said, the Gentile centurion said, you don't have to come to my house. It doesn't take physical touch. Just speak the word only. Well, we've got a greater word than he had, don't we? The Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes, we were healed. We've got a greater word than the centurion had. He had to wait for Jesus to say it. For us, it's already been spoken. So what changes? 
Healing hasn't changed. It's still good. Was good then, still good today. Jesus hasn't changed. Jesus is the same yesterday. That's when he was here on the earth, today, and forever. He'll never change. That means if Jesus was the healer here on, when he was here on the earth, he's the healer today, and he'll be the healer throughout eternity. So he hasn't changed. So what changed? Folks, concerning receiving healing, nothing changed. So when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. That or so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So what is the Bible telling us? It's telling us that healing for all fulfills the scripture in Isaiah 53, 5 that says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. If that were not true, then Isaiah 53, 5 would have to say Jesus took their infirmities and bore their sicknesses. Because when Isaiah says our, he's speaking by the Holy Ghost, he's including himself. And Isaiah did not live when Jesus was here on the earth. But Isaiah is grouping himself in with those that Jesus took the infirmities and sicknesses for. He says our, meaning everybody's. And notice the Bible clearly says... I'm sure the Holy Ghost knew that there would be controversy in the church world in our day about this. So the Holy Ghost clearly says that healing was made available and accessed for all to fulfill, to show what the fulfillment of the Scripture in Isaiah 53.5 is. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That we has to mean everybody. Why? Because healing was made available for all. He healed all. All that were sick. Now turn with me over to Luke chapter 13 and let me show you a situation where people questioned that. Luke chapter 13. Let's start reading in verse 10. It said, And he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Now, do you understand what that means? Do you understand that that means that whatever this sickness, whatever this crippling condition she had, she was bent over double. She was either looking at the top of her toes and, and shuffling along or something similar to that because she could not stand up straight. Maybe she was in a seated position, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. But she couldn't stand up. She couldn't lift herself. She was bowed over. That means she was bent over. She's had this thing 18 years, the spirit of infirmity. That doesn't mean it's the presence of an evil spirit. It means that sickness is spiritual. That would have to be true because Jesus paid the price for sickness in spirit along with the shedding of his blood. The shedding of Jesus' blood provided a spiritual benefit not only for your sins but also for your sicknesses. Sickness is spiritual, folks. That doesn't mean it's the presence of an evil spirit. It means it originated in spirit. Now, what does that mean? Let's stop and take a minute for that. The Bible says that God created the earth in six days, rested on the seventh day, right? At the end of the six days, he's made everything, put man in the middle of it and looked at all. And it says that God said, this is very good. It says, then God rested on the seventh day. Literally, it says in the Hebrew, he made an end of everything that he created, He made everything that he ever made in six days after that. He never made anything else. So the question is this. If sickness is of God, what day did he make it? 
The Bible goes into great detail to tell us what was made on the first day, the second day, the third day, fourth day, fifth day, and the sixth day. And sickness is never mentioned in any of those six days. The fact is, sickness was not present at the end of the six days of creation. And God looked at the earth without sickness and said, this is very good. Now, has God changed his idea about what's very good? If so, then we've got to tear the Bible up. We've got to throw it in the fire because the Bible said God never changes. If God changed his idea of what's very good, then that means the Bible's a lie. So if it was very good, if the earth was very good, if God's man in the middle of earth was very good without sickness, that has to mean it's very good for you to be without sickness. So then where does sickness come from? Well, after Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, it says there was a curse that came upon the earth. And what would that curse entail? What did that curse entail? Well, the first thing it entailed was spiritual death. The, the commandment that God gave them is don't eat of the tree of the good, the tree of, uh, um, the knowledge of good and evil, or you shall surely die. Well, he's not talking about dying physically that day because Adam lived for 930 years later or longer. So what death is he talking about? He's talking about dying spiritually. Literally in the Hebrew, it says dying thou shalt die. Death will overtake you is another meaning of that. So what happened? Well, Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, and they saw they were naked, and they were ashamed of it. They died spiritually. Something happened so that their spiritual eyes changed, their spiritual nature changed. Now they're subject to death. They're subject to the curse that came on the earth. God said to Adam, he said, now the earth is going to produce only by the sweat of your brow. Thorns and thistles it's going to bring forth. There were no thorns and thistles before the fall. Why? Because the earth was very good. God's plan was for man to eat of abundance without thorns and thistles. In other words, there was no curse of lack. There was no hindrance to him to be being provided for in any aspect, in any way whatsoever. Which means God's will is for you to be provided for without hindrance. That means what God considers to be very good is for you to prosper without the hindrance of the devil. Now, the devil is here. That's a fact. So we're going to have to learn to overcome the devil's hindrances so that we can prosper according to God's plan and purpose. It also means that man's physical being changed. From that point forward, from the fall forward, he became subject to time and the aging process and everything else, the decaying process that goes along with aging. Paul said, writing to the Corinthians, that the outward man decays, is decaying, but the inward man is renewed day by day. Well, the older you get, you find out how much decay there really is involved with the outward man perishing. I can't do near the things I could do when I was 30 years old. But thank God he can renew our youth. So we can overcome some of the devil hindrances in that respect too. But sickness came on the scene after the fall. That means Satan is the originator of sickness, not God. God didn't make it. If God didn't make it, he can't use it. It's not his. If God's going to make somebody sick, where's he going to get the sickness from? Is he going to have to have a, a, a meeting with the devil and borrow some sickness? Does anybody really think that's the way it works? Of course not. God can't make somebody sick because he's not the originator of sickness. Sickness does not belong to him. Where's he going to get it? There's no sickness in heaven. Where would God get sickness to use? So that's what I mean by sickness being spiritual. Poverty is spiritual. It shows up in our bank books. 
but it's a spiritual thing. And you overcome spiritual things like poverty and like sickness with spiritual resources like the finished work of Jesus. So that's what the spirit of infirmity means. It doesn't mean the presence of an evil spirit or presence of a demon. If that were the case, then Jesus would have um, cast the demon out. It said, behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. I always like to mention this. The word loosed is the same word that's used for redemption in Romans chapter, in, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse uh, seven. Literally, Jesus said, woman, thou art redeemed from thine infirmity. Interesting th- that he would use that word. Redemption means to be set loose or to be set free. And Jesus says in healing the woman that she's redeemed from her sickness. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, folks, remember, this is the same principle, the same concept of Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is spiritual death, poverty, and sickness. In the same way that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, he's saying to her, woman, you're redeemed from this curse of sickness. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. You know what that means? That means he got upset because of what Jesus did. And said, or answered uh, with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. How dare you take our Sabbath day service and heal somebody? What's he doing? He's questioning the goodness of what Jesus did. He's questioning the goodness of what Jesus did in healing the woman based on or compared to the law of Moses. And the law of Moses said on the Sabbath day, you can't do anything. Well, actually, the law of Moses doesn't say you can't do anything. But by the time the Pharisees and the rabbis all got together and came up with what can't, you know, the day of rest meant, you couldn't do anything. You only walk on a certain number of steps. If you ever go to Israel, go out of town on the Sabbath. Because their elevators go one floor at a time. Because that's what the, that's what the rabbis say that it, that's the only thing that doesn't break the law of Moses. If you're standing at the top floor of a hotel, it will take you forever. We got on the Sabbath day elevator one day when we were there and it was an all day trip. Because of stupid ideas, people's stupid ideas about what the law of Moses is really about. Now that's what this guy's doing. This guy is saying, Jesus, you did an evil thing. According to the law of Moses, he's not using those words, but you can very clearly say that. See, that's what he's doing. He's saying what you did is not good. You should have done that any other day. It might have been good on Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday, but it's not good on the Sabbath day. He's accusing Jesus of doing evil in healing. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, now, Rabbi, let's let's talk this out. Maybe we can work out a compromise on this. Not so much. Jesus answers and says to him, the Lord answered him and said, thou hypocrite, you hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? You'll set your donkey free and make sure that you don't lose money 
by your donkey or your ass not having enough water or food. In the same respect, ought not this woman. I love this verse, verse 16. And ought not this woman. Two reasons. Number one, being a daughter of Abraham. And number two, whom Satan is bound these 18 years. Should she not be loosed from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Now, remember, Jesus said, he that's seen me has seen the Father. So what's God's attitude toward healing? Healing is good all the time. No matter what anybody else's tradition is, no matter what anybody else's idea is, no matter what anybody else thinks about healing, healing is good for all and all the time. Why? Because every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Healing can only be good. It's never anything other than good, and it's always good. Well, what are we to do, Pastor Mike? Well, I want to remind you of a scripture in Psalm 84. If you, you, may, not, uh, you may not be aware of this scripture, and you don't have to take time to turn to it if you want, don't want to, but uh, at least write it down. Psalm 84 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now, can not, this is where the devil jumps in. He said, well, yeah, if it only hadn't put that walk uprightly part. That leaves you out. What does it mean to walk uprightly? What it means very simply to walk uprightly is to walk according to the word. To do what the centurion did, in other words, to accept the word of God in the authority of the name of Jesus, through the authority of the name of Jesus, to accept the word of God as the same as Jesus laying hands on you if you're sick. That's walking uprightly. Because everything that's not of faith is sin. What the centurion did was an act of faith. He said, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Because I understand authority. I understand how authority works. You gave us... If it was in our context, we could say, Jesus, you gave us authority in your name to do the same works that you did here on the earth. So when we lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus, it's the same because we're doing it according to the word. It's the same as Jesus laying hands on the sick himself. And the Bible says, no good thing will he withhold from them that are willing to walk according to the word, from them that are willing to walk in faith, in other words. It all means the same thing. Walking upright, it doesn't mean to those that live and never stumble and never sin. It doesn't mean that at all. Walking uprightly means to accept the word of God to be true. Folks, would you treat your kids that way? Would you say to your young kids that are just learning to walk, now when you learn to walk right, I'll treat you well. But until then, you're on your own, buddy. Hope you know how to work the microwave. Because I'm not doing anything for you. Well, that's stupid. We'd never consider that. Yet that's the way we think spiritually. We think, oh, God's not going to do anything for us until we perfect ourselves. Seriously? Walking uprightly seems just simply means to accept the word of God as truth and act on it. Now, what are we to do? Well, James, back to James. James said in the first chapter, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Well, that sounds really good, James, but how do we take advantage of it right now? Look at chapter 5. 
We've already established that healing is good. We found at the times that the people accepted the word of God as the same means of receiving healing as Jesus laying hands on them physically. Jesus commended that person and said, this is great faith. Those that said healing was not always good. Jesus called them a hypocrite to their face. Centurion gains approval for accepting the word of God as the means of healing. The rabbi of the synagogue, the leader of the synagogue, was rebuked by Jesus because he questioned the goodness of healing in the manner that Jesus brought it. So what are we to do? Well, notice James chapter 5, verse, six, verse 13. It says, is any among you afflicted, going through a hard place? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Verse 14, is any sick among you? The implication is there shouldn't be any sick in the church. Why? Because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes, we were healed. But this means a little bit more than comes through in the King James. It means, is any among you beyond doing anything for yourself? In other words, does any of you need help regarding sickness and disease? That's what this means. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save. The word save is the same word heal, same word to make whole. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said in in, uh, Mark chapter 5 to the woman with the issue of blood. He said, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Notice that James did not say he's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He didn't say now there's a chance that you could get healed. We're hoping for the best. No, he said the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Folks, the prayer of faith always works. That doesn't always bring the instant results, but it always works. Yeah, but what if there's sin? Well, notice what it says. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if... That means that not all sickness is caused by the individual sin. And if he's committed sins, not everybody has, but even in case he has. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. You don't even have to pray a second prayer. Same prayer of faith. I wonder if James knew what he was talking about. Folks, James is the only letter written by a pastor. And he's telling us he's the only one that gives us information about how healing should work in the local church. He said the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Why? Because healing is always good. Healing is for everybody and healing is all the time. How many of you need to have hands laid on you to receive your healing? Stand to your feet. If that's you. All right. If you will, come down here. Put your toes on the front edge of this little brown carpet there. And get shoulder to shoulder. And we'll do exactly what the Bible said to do. Hallelujah. Now, if I've already laid hands on any of you folks, or if you've had anybody else lay hands on you folks, then we need to we need to adjust a little bit. And here's why. The Bible says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. If you pray the prayer of faith, that means you believe God hears and answers your prayer. If you believe God hears and answers your prayer, you don't pray about that again. Smith Wigglesworth said, if you pray a thousand times for any one thing, you've prayed 999 times in unbelief. For that reason, I, don't, I may not know. Some of you I do recognize that I've laid hands on you before. I don't know if it's for the same thing you're here for tonight. And I'm not going to stop and take time to find out from everybody this, that, or the other. 
So if that's the case, then when I lay hands on you, recognize that as far as I'm concerned, I'm laying hands on you for one of two things. If it's the first time, it's for the, to pray the prayer of faith to heal you from whatever the condition is. If it's an additional time that I prayed for you before, then I'm laying hands on you in agreement to minister life to you, staying in agreement with the first prayer we prayed. Amen? Just that little adjustment in our thoughts and in our attitudes makes a huge, huge, huge difference. Amen? How many of you believe that when I lay hands on you, you will receive your healing? If you can't raise your hands on that, you need to go sit down. All right, let's all stand in the congregation. Stretch your hands out toward these folks. This is important. Certainly is important to them. If you were up here, it would be important to you, wouldn't it? Now, I'm going to pray one prayer over everybody, and then unless the Lord directs me, then I'm just going to lay hands on you as I come by. But don't worry, if I didn't pray specifically or talk about your situation or if I didn't talk to you and find out what the deal is, it doesn't matter. The prayer of faith is what does it, not me knowing what's going on. Amen? So let's pray. I want you to bow your heads and listen to this prayer. Let your heart agree with the things that I say here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the privilege to lay hands on the sick. I thank you, Father, that we have a guarantee. Holy Spirit, you told us that in ministering healing in the local church, That if there's any sick among us, anybody that's beyond helping themselves, doing for themselves, needs help, in other words, that this is the way that we do it. We lay hands on them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore our infirmities and took our sicknesses. You said, therefore, Father, that the prayer of faith, the declaration of healing by faith in the name of Jesus would heal the sick. You said, Father, that you would raise them up. Now, if any of these folks have committed sins, if sin is a a part of this issue, thank you that you forgive them of their sins. Thank you, Father, that it will not hinder them from being raised up in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I lay hands on my sister in the name of Jesus. Now, minister the healing power of God to her. Command her to be healed from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Amen. Amen. Father, I lay hands on my brother. I command him to be healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. There it is. That's it right there. Father, I lay hands on my brother. I minister the healing power of God to him according to the word of God. And there it is. The name of Jesus. Be healed. Father, I lay hands on this sister. I command her to be healed. Thank you, Father. It's the healing power. There it is right there. Going right into her. To affect a healing and a cure from the top of her head to the soul. There it is. That's it right there. That's it. Father, I lay hands on my brother. That's it. Receive the healing power of God. That's it. Be healed. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for raising him up. Father, I lay hands on my brother and I minister the healing power of God to him. Yeah, that's it. Receive your healing. That's it right there. In Jesus' name. I lay hands on my sister, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And I minister the healing power of God. There it is. That's it. Thank you, Lord. Father, I lay hands on my sister. I command her to be healed. In the name of it the name of jesus hallelujah 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I lay hands on my brother in the name of Jesus. I minister the healing power of God to him to effect a healing. And there it is. From the top of his head to the soles of his feet. I lay hands on you in the name of Jesus. I minister the healing power of God to your body. I command it to be healed in Jesus' name. There it is right there. That's it. Would you remove your hat, please, sir? Father, I lay hands on my brother in the name of Jesus. I command him. Yeah. Receive your healing. (laughs) It's going right into you. In the name of Jesus. You're soaking it up like a sponge. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that he's healed. That you're raising him up. In Jesus' name. Amen. I minister the healing power of God to my brother. I command him to be healed. From the top of his head to the soles of his feet. There it is. That's it. That's it right there. (laughs) Be healed. In Jesus' name. I minister the healing power of God to you, brother. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing. There it is. There it is. That's it right there. Father, I lay hands on my sister. In the name. There it is. Be healed. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, I minister life to my sister. In the name. There it is. Life of God's going right into you. Be healed in Jesus' name. There it is. Hallelujah. Father, I lay hands on my sister in the name of Jesus. I command her to be healed. Uh, uh, Yeah. In the name of Jesus. There it is. It's going right into you. In Jesus' name. Be healed in the name of Jesus. That's it. That's it right there. Take a deep breath. That's it. Went right into you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's all lift our hands and thank God for doing a healing work in their bodies. Thank you, Father. Thank you that your word is true. In Jesus' name, Father, you are raising them up. The prayer of faith heals the sick, heals each and every one of these. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now, do something you couldn't do. Do something you couldn't do. Some things are internal. I know everybody can't do that, but some of you can. Do something you couldn't do. Put it to work. Who can tell the difference? What, your back? Do you have pain, stiffness? What was it? Now it's not as stiff? Gone? Amen. Thank God for healed backs. If you've ever had a back problem, you know how good that is. Who else can tell the difference? Anybody else? Pain went away in your back. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Amen. God's into the removal of pain. Praise the Lord. 
Well, now, if, if the rest of you, if you can't tell the difference yet, don't get discouraged by that. Not all, not all healing is instant. Not all healing brings about results instantaneously. The same faith that you exercised concerning your situation, the same healing power of God was ministered to you as was ministered to others. So keep the switch of faith turned on. Realize, let this be an encouragement to you, and realize just as they got instant results, your results may take a little bit longer, but it's the same results. You get the same supernatural results. Amen? Amen. Well, you folks can go on back to your seats. Let's give them all a hand. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all just bow in prayer for a moment. See if there's anything else the Lord would have us do before we go. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the presence of God here. We thank you for the truth of your word. Anything else you'd have me to do, Lord, before we dismiss? Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Lord, we worship you. We magnify your name. We thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for being a healing God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being a healing Savior. Thank you for healing our bodies in Jesus' precious name. Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. 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 Well, say it with me. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us tonight. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.